A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter, and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer, and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Well, hello. It is a beautiful, sunny Sunday. I am walking back from the river. I just had a coffee with my mum. And I'm walking alongside Jessie, who's doing some Pokemon going, I think. Is that what you refer to it as? It's called Pokemon Go. It's like a game where like, you catch Pokemons. And if you want to move in the game, though, you have to move in real life. Great. Well, it's keeping us walking. And it's quite funny, actually, because Jessie just had it where there was a Pokemon he had to catch. Um, and it, it was outside a house that had a blue plaque. So that's what we were looking for. And to the un... Oh, it's always noisy when I do this. To the untrained eye, it looked like I had a child that was fascinated with blue plaques. Because I went, here we are, Jesse. We've reached the blue plaque of the humanist and humorist and reformist MP, whatever his name is. And Jesse went, yes. Um, but really, it's because that's where Pokemon was. So if you ever see a family and you think, oh, they're very cultured, they might just be catching Pokemon. Um, yes. Sunny Sunday, going home to a roast beef. My so, Oh, well done. That's great. Um, so good. So good. Uh, it's actually all been pretty nice this weekend. I've had a busy few weeks and I've just been loving the fact that this weekend I've had no work, just been at home. It is delightful. And we have Nanny Claire staying with us. So Nanny Claire was our nanny, the first nanny we ever had from when Sonny was four months old. Okay. All the way until he was 11 years old. She's very much like family. She's currently in my kitchen making her famous Cadbury's tribute cake, which we put a recipe of in our cookbook. Only when we did the the test of the recipes, the lovely chef we were working with Emily Ezekiel, she said, listen, per slice, Claire's Cadbury's tribute cake is more calories than you're supposed to have in one day. So the, the 
The publishers got a little bit worried and said, oh, you might have your cookbook down as a sort of unhealthy cookbook. So we toned down the recipe so that it wouldn't be so unhealthy. And I've regretted it ever since, actually, because it's a flipping cake, so you already know it's not healthy. And the real recipe is so much better. So I might put it on my Instagram, actually, the real recipe, because it's like, then you get the full impact of the Cadbury's. And that's what Claire's making today. And, oh, I have such a lovely guest for you today. Years and years and years ago, I went to watch a circus show at the Roundhouse in Camden. And there was this woman, I've never forgotten it because it made such an impression on me, who came out on roller skates in a skin-tight leopard print dress looking very hubba-hubba. Oh, yes, Jessie. Let me show you how much I got. Let me show you my Pokemon. Okay. Look at this. You've got so many Pokemons. Jessie, we will discuss that properly in a second. I just started this game I know, today. but Jessie, let me just finish... Oh, God. Uh, let me just finish telling people about the podcast, please. Um, yes, and... This woman came out looking amazing, very beautiful, very cool. And she had roller skates on and a ton of hula hoops. And she hula hooped and roller skates her way around to Thelma Houston's Don't Leave Me This Way, which is incidentally what cemented it as my favourite disco song of all time. Because it starts off slow and then by the end when it gets all crazy, um, Marawa, the woman in question, was spinning around and then kind of got lifted into the air spinning hula hoops and a little aerial pulley thing. And it was amazing. I loved it so much. And all the while, she was making kind of cartoony faces, like puffing out her cheeks and kind of looking shocked and surprised and flabbergasted, like kind of really cartoony and fun. And so I started following her on Instagram as soon as I found her on there. And about two years ago, she had a baby, and I was like, great, I'll have her as a future guest on Spinning Plates. Even though at the time, I'd only just started the podcast so today she is my guest we spoke on zoom because she was in she's actually australian but she, well grew up in australia but she's actually hold on jesse i won't be long but um we spoke on zoom because she's currently in california california and we had a lovely chat and i think you're going to really like hearing her stories so yes over to you marawa and your hula hooping wonderful ways all right speak to you in a bit in the meantime i know jesse we're going to talk about pokemon yeah, I've got to go and catch some Pokemon while we're listening in. All right, see you on the other side. Bye. I've actually been exci- so excited to talk to you because I first saw you perform, I think it must be around 15 years ago, at the Roundhouse yes, in London. quite possibly. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you're responsible actually for giving me a love of one of my favourite songs because you know when you have a song and then something crystallises the moment of the song and the image and you yes. did a whole routine on your roller skates with your hula hoops to um, Thelby Houston's Don't Leave Me This Way. Don't Leave Me This and Way, yeah. I believe it finished <laughs> with you being elevated, you were aerial by the end. Yep, And yep. it was so yep. magic um, that it literally <laughs> is one of my favourite songs but I always think of you when I hear it. <laughs> Oh, nice. <laughs> and it's got those great builds and key changes in it and it just kept getting the root. It just gets, yeah, till the bit where I'm in the air and there was a glitter cannon and it was, it was a whole a whole thing. Yes. So um, what's going on in your world at the moment? Um, where are we speaking to you now? I'm like you're in LA. Yeah, coming from slightly sunny but a little bit actually quite cloudy today, um, LA. Uh, April LA it's been it was like 100 degrees all of last week so not too hot uh, this week thankfully 
Um, and yeah, just surviving, coming out of the weirdest couple of years. I think we've all just happy to be alive and and still standing at this point. Yes, yes. So, what's are you are you sort of back with your work? Because obviously, so you were saying your little boy is eighteen months now. Yeah, I had I had I, in some ways what I think is just the absolute most dream uh, run pregnancy run, which is that I I got pregnant in January of twenty twenty, um, and sort of thought, oh, I'm going to have to cancel all my work and I'm going to have to tell everyone and shows and it's going to be complicated and I'm not going to be able to travel. And then the world just like shut down around me. And then people were calling saying, oh, we've had to cancel this show. We've had, and I just thought, this is amazing. <laughs> this is brilliant. <laughs> and then I, you know, um, like to keep my personal life kind of uh, personal and private. And so it was it was this amazing thing where I, no one knew, like, you know, those that needed to know needed, but I, but in terms of work, no one knew. And then, you know, had the baby, which obviously was, obviously there were a lot of downsides. It was lockdown. I couldn't, my family's in Australia. I couldn't see them. Um, and there was no vaccine at that point. So it was all a bit, uh, you know, scary, but we got through it. And then when the world started opening up again and shows were coming back and people were calling saying, can you come and do the show? I was like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I just managed to skip the whole bit. And then I was like, oh yeah. And I had a baby. Don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> like, well, so because I think, you know, were you already a bit worried then about the idea of having to not work for a little bit. Yeah, I definitely was like, you know, looking for the gap and trying to work out, you know, as someone who has definitely suffered from a lot of FOMO in the past. And also the idea of like, I wasn't under any illusion of uh, how much work was going to be required to have a child. It's not just, you know, the pregnancy part, it's the recovery, it's the looking after, it's the, you know, having energy like it's not it's not just like oh and then I I got a nanny and then I went and did the work because you're exhausted so it's like how do you how do you balance all the parts together and when's the best time and you know there's never a good time but um I do feel like somehow I lucked out and it sort of fit a really natural gap that actually came up anyway um yeah and so have you now gone back to doing your day job so to speak Yes, yes. And I kind of had already been sort of, I, you know, I, I spent nearly, I mean, more, more than 10 years traveling and touring, performing, um, you know, dragging hula hoops from one side of the world to the other and a lot of roller skates and um, a lot of oversized luggage in various <laughs> airports and, <laughs> and was very aware that, you know, there was no version, at least I'm sure there are people out there that can do it, but I wasn't really interested in also trying to have a child and the hoops and the roller skates and be touring and traveling and running around. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think when I started out, it was that thing of, I didn't want to be trapped in a nine to five. I didn't want to be stuck, you know, in one place I wanted to be able to move around and so I'd found this um, career that allowed me to do that and I was thrilled with myself and thought it was really clever and then after a few years I was like oh my god I'm trapped in this version I can't stop I have to keep touring and I can't stop touring and I want to stay in one place now and then so you know it took a few years to then come up with the next plan and work out how I could stay in one place and pick and choose the shows that I really wanted to do um versus have been forced to continue traveling like that so I, I feel really really lucky um that it worked out that way and uh and so now you know I can do the shows that I really want to do um and then a lot of my work is also just online now with the shop that I have um, and the writing and things that I do so I can 
do it from wherever I am. Yeah, I mean, I think when you said trapped in nine to five, that is, yeah, literally the last thing that you are, I would say. And you're so yeah. <laughs> magnificently hard to put down to any one thing, really, because there's lots of things that you go up to from, yeah, teaching to writing to uh, world record breaking. And obviously the core of it is is your performance. Um, so how long have you been doing the stuff with the hula hoops and the roller skates? I was a late bloomer in circus terms because I didn't actually start circus school until I was 21, which is, um, I mean, the idea of going to school for circus is kind of ridiculous anyway. <laughs> Getting a Bachelor of Circus Arts is always like, do you really need a degree to join the circus? Not really, but <laughs> but it, it was handy. Um so, yeah, I was a late bloomer in that sense. Um, and I'd been roller skating my whole – I've been roller skating since I was two. I had tiny, tiny Wow, skates. since you Actually, were two? Just, yeah, and I just that yesterday must have looked adorable, went, by the uh, way. They're very, very cute, but not as cute, I think, as the ones that I'm getting for my son, uh, which I got yesterday. I took um, – because, you know, it, it, you can get shoes modified into skates, and so obviously he has a really tiny, tiny little foot. <laughs> so I've got tiny, tiny little boot Timberland boots that are going to be – Oh my god, they're so they're going to be so beautiful. Um, <laughs> I just love that you're like purple, you've learned to walk. Brilliant. Wheels. Let's put wheels on it. <laughs> yeah, because but you know to be fair, he just keep he keeps putting his feet in my skates anyway, which are obviously up to his knees, you know. Yeah. That, and he and he just want he just points at them and he puts them on, and then I have to sort of walk him or you know roll him around the house. He loves it, so I thought, okay, it's time. Oh my time. gosh, that is going to look amazing when you take him out and about on his little yeah. roller skate Timberland boots. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what you, I suppose your early memories, and if you were doing it from two, what, what made you first put your foot inside a roller skate? My mum. So was she in she, something she did? She, no, she, she's a, she's a, she works at a university. She's, both my parents are quite academic, but, um, but she roller skated. She did roller skate, and she got me these tiny little pair of roller skates out of the trading post, which, you know, I guess is the, the Craigslist of that era. Um they were 20 bucks and they had big orange wheels and I learned in them. And then my brother and my sister and my other brother, you know, went down the chain. Um, and so, you know, I loved skating. I just loved it. And it, because I started so young, it just feels, has always felt second nature. I've never had to really think about it. And when I started teaching, I had to sort of really go back to learn how to teach it because to me, it was just like, well, you just put them on and you go yeah. like, rather than having to break down how to do it. Um, and then obviously the circus stuff was much later. I had done, I did gymnastics and I did rhythmic gymnastics, so I had had experience uh, with a single hoop in rhythmic. But um, obviously the circus stuff was different and and multiple hoops and it just looking back, it all kind of makes sense. At the time, I don't think I knew where I was going with it. Yeah. It just I was one of those kids that just you know climbed on everything and jumped up and down and couldn't really sit still. And I, at the time, you know there wasn't a natural line of you know when you get to high school and you go to the career counselor they don't sort of say oh you should do a bachelor of circus arts because it didn't exist like it was yeah. a it was a brand new degree when I when I did the degree and I remember thinking you know when I when I applied I was like well I don't know really know what this is but I know that I like climbing on things so it made so sense. when you do a circus degree when you look sort of left and right around you in the room what other what other people what are they what are they looking for what they tried looking to it's, do. It, for, it was the dream. When I did it, it was the dream because it was so new. Yeah. So it was the absolute, so to me, it's like, it, it's it's similar to when I when I do world records. It's that thing of like, you know, it's like the, I always say it's like being in the Marvel comic studios, kind of like you've got one of everything. You've got, you know, 
the tallest person and the strong man and then the person is a contortionist and the person, you know, all these people that specialise. It's it's exactly why I love world records. It's people who have taken one very specific skill. Actually, I was just back in Melbourne last week and um, one of my favourite people there, Tully, uh, who I hadn't seen for a long time, who was also there at the same time as me. And he is a very unassuming, very normal-looking guy skinny little guy and he his specialty he spent three years with a wooden spoon in his mouth and then the the stick of the spoon sticking out of his mouth and then a wine bottle he would throw the wine bottle behind his back and then catch the wine bottle you know the skinny side up and balance it on the wooden spoon and you're just like well that's not a trick I mean I mean but also what is that and then but then but then from there he would flip the wine bottle upside down. He could spin the wine bottle along the length of the wooden spoon and then catch it, like spike it into the wood. I mean, it's the craziest skill. Yeah. And, you know, and he was still doing it. I saw him I saw him do the show when I was back in Melbourne and I was like, "It's this is genius. Like, it really <laughs> is. But it's also, I mean, I, I think that's something I've really loved and I found really comforting as well during, especially during the last couple of years actually because I'd look on Instagram and start following all these people you're actually really eccentric with these one, as you say, these one thing they would hone in on and just think, I'm going to yeah. make, you know, beautiful miniatures of, I don't know, vintage furniture and it's going to be tiny and perfect yeah. and I will just do that all the time, all day, yeah. every day. And I just think, yes. oh, I'm really glad you exist, but how on earth do you, like, like it's just yeah. quite barking, but in such a <laughs> joyful way, for sure. Yeah. And I think yeah. now as well, like, when you get back on stage, you must be really feeling the love that people are just so excited to see something that's pure joy in that way. Well, it was it was really strange because the first, the actual, the first gig that I did back was um, Dita Von Teese did a, a did a, a, a like a on demand live streamed show, but it wasn't live. We it was pre recorded. So we had done uh, the show in the same theater, the Orpheum Theater downtown in Los Angeles, and it's a um, like just beautiful theatre, like, you know, everything has been kept in mint condition and it's, I can't remember how many thousand, but quite a few thousand seats and it's, you know, it's huge theatre, huge stage and, you know, we've done New Year's Eve there and it's just, it's amazing. And then it was so bizarre to be in there again and um, also I got to bring the baby, which was fun. So he was, I think he was six or seven months at the time and, um, you know, got lots of pictures with him backstage with all the performers and, you know, sitting on Dita's fully Swarovski chair and things like that, you know, just all these great, great shots. Um, lots of feather boas. But, um, yeah, it was so bizarre to be on, you know, we'd been in isolation for so long and then double isolation with the baby and then suddenly being back on the stage but there was no one in the audience. There was just the cameras and it was this bizarre way to sort of reintroduce performing again and then having the show be live streamed. So then it was that same thing of like watching it happen through the phone yeah. and people commenting through the phone and then, you know, versus like actually finally being out in front of people yeah. again, which is also great. Well, I can't really imagine how it must feel to go through your pregnancy at times, you say, when everything shuts down and then you do your first show back with your only you know six seven month old baby and everybody else is talking about how it's their first show back for ages so you're sort of feeling like it kind yeah. of mirrors but it's not it's you would have been feeling like that anyway 
So it must be exactly, quite weird. exactly. That's yeah, that's what was so weird about the timing, and I think it's really marked how I how I feel about the lockdown and stuff because it just there's a version where I would have been like that anyway. So yeah. before and art, you know, that thing of pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, it's like, well, not that we're, we, you know, we're almost, well, I don't know where we are, but wherever we're at now, but it's like, oh, it, that's how it was anyway, because it was pre-baby and post-baby. So there's a sort of, yeah, a mirror there. Yeah. And in a, a, a personal way, how did you feel? Because I'm always interested when, when women have had babies, have had, you know, they've already got such a strong relationship with their bodies, if it's part of, if it's intrinsic to what you do for a mm-hmm. living. So how did you... How did you find that? What's it like to be pregnant on wheels? It, it was so bizarre. The wheels were fine. I felt fine on the wheels, 100% fine. It looks amazing um, when you see it, the videos and all stuff. The, Incredible. Yeah, and it was really funny because I didn't, I didn't, I got, I, I went through the whole, I didn't announce that I was even pregnant online until after I'd even had him <laughs> because I knew like the internet's bad at the best of times and so plus hormones I was just like I'm not even you know I went right through and then so I did post afterwards some videos of me skating and you can imagine you know uh, the the people that the, the very opinionated couch people you know endangering her baby and all this stuff. and you know the I've I've you know I've been skating my I felt very confident in how and what my body did and how I could do things what was interesting to me was that I had no interest at all in picking up a hula hoop. Like from the moment I knew I was pregnant, you know, you see there are videos and I know friends who've been pregnant that hula hoop that do that thing where they spin the hoop, you know, around their bump and things like that. And I thought I'd want to do all that stuff. And immediately I was just like, never, like no way. Like I don't want to be hitting this child with a, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, why would you, you know, I just had no interest in it. But I did still want to skate and I did skate. And and the biggest accident I had, which was terrifying, was um, getting in the shower at four months. And I did the, the classic stepped in the shower and started falling backwards and the core muscles that I relied on were not there. And I just went from, you know, vertical to horizontal in 0.2 of a second and thought, oh, my God, that's it. I'm dead. Baby's dead. Every I was, you know, full. I had a full the most, you know, that thing where you're hearing your voice but you don't realise it's part of your own body because I just was like, what is happening? And that was the biggest accident I had was in the shower. But I never for one second felt unsteady on the skates, I think because you're also focusing and concentrating more. And I skated up to – well, I skated distance up until I was six months and then I would still skate every now and then um, right through to the day before. Um, when I was 40, 42 and a couple of days and no signs of any dilation. And they were just, you know, I was just, I had a, you know, I was, I'm sure I would have gone back to Australia at the very start because the American healthcare system as we know is just something else. But I had, I really loved my gynecologist here and I knew I could get into the hospital that also had a postpartum ward, even though we were in COVID. So I, I felt really happy about where I was going, but I also was like, I had been reading a lot of stuff about Pilates, like women who had strong core muscles and how it works with the baby and the, you know, separating of the ab muscles from and all these sorts of things. And so I, from the beginning, I'd been really not consciously relaxing, like trying to keep everything as loose, stretch everything. Cause I knew my muscles were just like so locked up and so tight. And, um, he just didn't want to come out. They just, they just, you know, they, I went and went and went and then they, induced me and they shoved every drug they could up there and they try and it just was like one centimeter one centimeter one centimeter they put a balloon up there and inflated the balloon. I mean they just couldn't wow. 
They went nothing. circus on you. So <laughs> they went full circus. They were like, we're going to stick a balloon up there and we'll inflate it and see what <laughs> So, um, So I did, I, and then I had a C-section because he, he started crashing. He crashed a couple of times and then they were like on the, I'd, at that point I'd, I think I was 28 hours into the hospital oh, and, long. you know, they do the Pitocin, they, you know, they were doing, they said that, I don't, I'm not a doctor, but there was something about, you know, that they can go up to 24 with Pitocin. So they go two, four, six, eight, they keep increasing it. And every time they got to six, it just, it was not, my body just, it wasn't mm. happening. And also the, you know, when I got in there and I was not, I was having, nothing was happening and, and they hooked me up to the machines and they're like, oh, you're having massive contractions. And you can see on the machine it's going off. And I was like, oh, I can't feel anything. But it was going up and holding for like five minutes and I'd never really thought about it. And mm. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all my muscles are going like this. But they were crushing him, the poor little guy. But then once they started with the Pitocin, I was like, oh, that. Yes, I can feel that. Where's that man with the magical epidural? Yes, please bring him immediately. And then – in the space of time that he came to give me the epidural, I thought, oh, you're such a wuss. You can't, I can't believe you've had like, you, you, you've felt like two contractions and you've, and then in the space of time that they were setting up to give it to me, I had another one and I was like, yeah, no, nah, let's go. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Like I, I have got a strong pain threshold. I have, I know I do. I've done a lot of painful things in my life, but that was, something else and you know and I'm and kudos to anyone who can you know everyone does things differently and I just I don't know my mum was a my mum was a midwife she had four cesareans she's tiny as well she's a very very tiny little lady um and she worked all in refugee camps and she's seen a lot and I've through her have heard a lot of stories and feel very strongly that like for me you know having access to first world hospital environments and spaces like that it's I'm not I'm not trying to be a hero or you know I just it's that thing of like she and she would always say it she's like it can all be fun and games and then at the last minute and that's kind oh, of how absolutely. I felt like absolutely. with what happened with me yeah so oh, no, I, I was I felt agree. very yeah I felt really lucky to be there and be in that space and to have access to everything that I had and and then you know so then they you know cut me over my my um doctor was there and she um and she was like, I can see an ear. And then he came out all screaming, yelling, and he was out. And then, but then I could hear her saying to the um, other nurse while I was uh, trying to throw up, not that I had anything to throw up, but I thought I might try and throw up. Um, and she was saying, you know, we're going to take it very, she's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to line these, you know, line my muscles back up really perfectly when she was stitching me back together. Because that was, you know, that was the big thing was I was really like, what you know you just don't know is it going to go am I going to go back together are yeah. they going to miss are they going to cut something that they're not meant to you know yeah. so it was very strange coming back to then smashing myself with you know 100 hula hoops in the belly over and over again I was like ooh. ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I think as well with the labour and the pain, I haven't actually experienced labour, so I'm not speaking what I've had mm. cesareans with all of my babies, but um, I think, yeah. I don't think it's one size fits all with the pain and with that whole thing anyway. So I think no. everybody's having their own experience. No, not at all. And, um, so when you... And it's just, to me, sorry. It's that, it's, to me, it's just that really simple thing that people seem to skip over. It's just that like, low, like, like that hundreds and thousands of women like die in childbirth it's not something that it's not like well 100 years ago no one used it yeah but they were dying like literally horrible and still to this day and and you know and you know if we if I think personally the things not even the baby but moments where I've gone to hospital in my life it's like well yeah I would have died yeah like I just would have died that's you know that's the alternative so yeah. No, I think it's yeah. well, and you're right to remember that because yeah, same here. I definitely would have died with my first hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, and I and it's yeah, and I think it's partly the era that we're living through and stuff like that. But you know, and even but even in the hospital, everyone was you know, what's your birth plan? You know, what's your birth plan? We need you to write up your birth plan. You know what? What's and I just kept saying on every form, I just wrote healthy baby, healthy baby healthy baby I was like and if I get out of it that's great but all I want is you know a healthy baby um that's it I'm not don't need to talk about which herbal essence they're gonna spray on me you know and obviously all that stuff was out the window anyway because it was COVID so I was barely lucky to have my husband there with me but um yeah well I think you're right to have the emphasis on the healthy baby and I can you know I think that's something that's always the focus on that because I think sometimes you with the birth plan I don't really know many people that have had the birth plan and then that's exactly the birth they've had anyway I feel like it's just yeah. something you do yeah. to sort of process what's about to happen maybe <laughs> if you can but when you first started getting back into your fitness did you did you find anything had changed from before or was it like totally really? oh yeah everything oh yeah everything was out the window because I had no I'm so used to having a really tight core that you don't 
I didn't realize how much, you know, just everything, walking, opening doors, getting in and out of cars, you know, all that sort of stuff. Not only was it like under um, stimulated because it hadn't been used for nine months while I was growing a baby because it was, you know, it's all loose, but also it had all been literally cut open. So it was very um, interesting to kind of rebuild it basically from the, from scratch because it was, you know, the, uh, the street we live on very LA is very steep. Um, and when I was pregnant, which now when I think about, I, I would not ever do that again. It was very odd, but I, my one thing was like, and it was locked down, but I was like, Oh, I'm just going to walk up and down the street three times, but it would take 45 minutes. It was very steep up and down. And after I'd had the baby, my doctor had said, I said, you know, what can I, what should I do? What can I do? And she said, she said, just try and even if it's five minutes, just go for a little walk every day if you, if you're up for it. And I said, oh, you know, I'll, I'll do my walk up and down the street. And she said, no, 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 no. (laughs) She said, you can't. And I just, you know, we would drive to this park near the house that's flat up in Griffith Park. And, and we do this flat bit and my husband would have, you know, tiny little baby and, and um, and sometimes I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to – and he was like, no, can't you see the incline is changing? And I would be like, oh, I'll be right. And then it, you'd take two steps and I'd be like, Bleh! and it was like, oh, right, I can't do that yet. So it was it was really slow. Again, lockdown, so I, I didn't feel any pressure. I didn't feel like, um, you know, I had to be back on stage five minutes later or anything like that. I felt like I had the time and I was breastfeeding and I was tired. And so I really – really went slow as the the thing I really wanted to do is swim as soon as I could get back in the pool I got in the pool and um and just really it was I think I was 10 or 11 weeks post-birth when I picked up a hoop and I was really like let's just take it little time actually I think I have a video of where I, I I took some videos that sort of show when I first started through to like when I felt like I was back and it was, I didn't, I didn't rush. I just didn't rush. And I just thought, and I just knew so many stories about people that had, and either way, I don't think I was interested in rushing it, <laughs> but that thing of rushing and having your abs, you know, you can't, you just skin muscles. They don't, there's no quick fix with any of that stuff. You can't just, you know, the, the snap back, you know, idea you know, even if you're 16 or whatever, it's, it, you, it needs time. Um, and I mean, do you think you even always wanted to be a mum? Was that always on the list for you or are you thinking about other things? I look, I definitely, you know, and I was 38 when, when I, um, when I was pregnant or 37, I was 38 when I had the baby and, um, and I really had sort of made peace with like, I'd, I was like, what's, you know, and if, a few years before that, I was like, what's left on the list? Like I've got, I did the world records. I did the traveling. I wanted to go, you know, I traveled to the places I wanted to, tra- like what's left on the list? Because I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like not just in like, I don't know if my body's going to come back, but also I don't know if I'm going to want to, I don't know. And I, I mean, sometimes there's such an expectation, isn't there, that everybody's going to want to have a baby and that if you're a young woman, people have sort of an interest in it, even though maybe you're not even thinking about that or you don't really want people. It's not an invited bit of interest that you've got from yep. other people. And, um, you know, you've been doing your own thing. And I suppose it sounds from the, you know, from what you're saying is if you weren't actually even sure if that was definitely something that you were headed towards, really. Totally. And I was very, like, I I feel, I used to get really 
angry when I was like that thing of being 25 or 26 and because I was touring all the time you know if I did see doctors I was seeing different doctors for the first time in different countries it wasn't even doctors sometimes it was physiotherapists sometimes it was someone who'd seen a show or whatever and it was like everyone felt it was like you know you know when someone's driving and they're wearing a skirt and the skirt's out of the door and you're like oh my god this skirt's going to go under the tire and you're like flagging the car down like oh I need to tell you that your skirt it was like that but they were like you really need to think about having children. I just need to tell you, have you thought about having a baby? When are you going to have a baby? What are you? And I was like, do I know you? Like I've come to you as a doctor because I have a sore throat or something. Like why is everyone so involved in this idea that they need to tell me that my eggs are going to freeze up and that I'm going to not be able to have a kid? I was like, have you asked me if I've got a pu- Who's, who am I having the baby with? Who's looking after the baby? Who's going to pay for the baby? I was like, there's so many other things rather than this. Do I even want a baby? Like all these questions that I was just like so mad that people felt that they, in this, that they felt that they really needed to tell me, you know, don't wait, don't wait. Did it feel a little bit like if you were going to do it, if you were going to have a baby, then, you know, time was moving on and it maybe had to be now? Yeah, I think that fed into a bit. But also I think the other thing is that I definitely, and, and, you know, especially going home for this trip, you know, all the, you know, the people that you went to high school with in, who come back and they're like oh you always said you were never gonna have a kid you were always anti-kids and it wasn't that I was anti-kids but I was anti this idea that everyone from the get-go was like you know when are you having the kid and what's your plan and I was like I've got other things to do like there's so many things I want to do and it wasn't that I was anti the kid but I was like what about career and life and travels and I was very I'm the oldest of four and there are big gaps between us so I was like under no illusion about how much time I was going to be giving up and work I would be giving up and and I was and I also was like I didn't want to be you know being in LA which is the land of this type of stuff but that idea of like I'm having the baby I'm taking two weeks off work then the nanny moving in full time then I had the night nurse and then I'm going to be and I was like I don't why would you have the kid just to have someone else look after it like if I'm going to do it I want to spend time and be able to spend time and not be stressed about money and work and stuff like that. So I need to prepare now so that I can do that. I mean, was there like a sort of turning point? Was there a moment where you thought, okay, I think I better do this now? Yeah, I feel like, I, I feel like, look, the thing that really was, um, I think I would have been sort of playing around with like, you know, you test out whether you really feel, it's like any big major life decision you're like, First, it makes you feel sick. Then you're like, do I really want to do this? And then you kind of play, you know, until you get to the bit of doing it for any project. And my my gynecologist here was really funny. She kept saying, she'd always say, what birth control are you using? And I'd say, I'm not using birth control. And she said, well, you can't do that. And I said, well, if it happens, it happens. She said, no, you can't. You have to make a decision. I said, what? <laughs> and then she said, I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I just was very much in the sort of I don't know phase, which is usually the phase before the yes phase. But she was, um, she said, just go and do an egg count. She said, and just see, you know, and it doesn't, you know, let's just see what it says. And, and it was the process. It wasn't what it took me. Nothing came out of it. They just sort of said, you have the normal amount of eggs for a 37 year old woman, which is not that many eggs, but it's normal for a 37 year old. And I was kind of like, huh, but it wasn't that that really got me thinking. What really got me thinking was looking around the waiting room and being like, oh, this is 
like I'm at the age now where you do like she's kind like what my doctor had been saying is kind of right like you need because if it's not going to be straight if you do want to do it and it's not going to be straightforward then you know it's it's hard out there and and for some people it it doesn't just work and I was like okay I I should make a decision and I should think about when and how and all that kind of stuff so it was it was definitely like a catalyst for it and the moment and it was that thing of like oh uh, yeah that worked that was easy <laughs> I was like okay <laughs> and so well, that's good. wasn't that is very yeah good. so that was real I, so I feel and I was I was saying this earlier to a friend today who, who's just found out she's pregnant and I just she's a similar age to me and it was this thing of like I really understand I really deeply understand why it makes so much sense to be 16 and have a baby like I get it like it makes so much sense but the way things are set up and the way you know society and and work and all these sorts of things like it also really makes sense to be 45 and so I feel like I have you know relatively uh good energy and I feel like I scraped in you know like I'm exhausted (laughs) in all the ways that I should be exhausted and it probably (laughs) would have been easier when I was 20 but I you know I didn't even know my partner when I was 20 and I didn't have the house that we live in and all those sorts of things so it's it was that you know finding that bit yeah. in between. So I just I just feel so lucky about how it worked out and I Yeah, and anyway the baby aware. comes along and that's that's yeah. the baby you were going to have then and that's, that's exactly. that. That's what happened. Exactly. There is no other life, but I do wonder where that real drive came from that you had with your work. I mean, so you said that your parents were both academics. Mm. So is there much about your childhood that you think might mirror the childhood that your son will have? Yeah, it's funny we were talking about this because I've very early on, very before we even thought we would have babies, I've have been very clear with my husband that, who is born and bred native LA that um that they would be going to school in Australia because <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> um because I just you know, I've lived on and off in America for years and I just don't feel like that's the place for kids to, have to go to school. That's me. That you know, everyone so does Australia feel like home? Is that where you're it, when you think of it home? It does feel like home, but but but, and this is what I was talking to my friend about today. Is, is um, I travelled right through to high school. We lived in Papua New Guinea. We lived in the Middle East. We travelled through Asia. I was going. I would do little bits of homeschooling. I'd be going to this school for six months and this school for that. You know, and I feel like I maybe didn't get. My mum always says, you know, I really missed out on um, uh, grammar. <laughs> a little bit but you know what I lacked in, which would have been uh, so helpful with the circus skills exactly so <laughs> helpful but then you know but the, but the experiences we had you know to, on top you can't compare it like you know I got yeah. to experience so many different cultures so many different ways of li- like it, that's the stuff that really opened my eyes up to so much um and so yeah I feel similarly I feel like maybe you know, we've got time to still travel, live in some different countries. Not like, you know, I'm not excited about like getting a backpack and one of those bikes where you load up lots of stuff on a bike and tra- no, I'm not um, a bit too showgirl for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, it would be nice to, you know, maybe move around for a few more years and then, but then be in one place. And I, Australia for me is like, is it where you can have a really great childhood like a real childhood and I have you know friends who have kids in New York and I just they're like little adults they're like I'm like did you get to climb enough trees and things like that you know and I think oh, I think you can in, in in the right places but yeah I really cherish 
I always talk about like my favorite age was when I was eight. It was this amazing year where I was very aware of like the world got a lot bigger, but I still had that like innocence of there wasn't a fear around it. And I was literally barefoot on a tropical island eating mangoes out of a tree and life was great. And it was yeah. such, there was, it was just such a time where I'm like, I, I feel like unless you're on a tropical island or, you know, in somewhere remote um, that maybe some kids miss out on that because the real world is like right there on the doorstep. But when you've had an experience like that where it's so crystallised in your childhood um, and it's kind of almost technicolour and and very free and, and and sort of very in the moment, do you think there is a part of that emotion that ended up being intrinsic to what you ended up doing for a living? Is there something yeah, that carries over when you do something that's extraordinary? Totally, and I think it's, and, and it's that thing of chasing it, you know. You want to be mm. back there. Uh, yeah, definitely, and I think... I was, you know, it, it. when I think about all those things leading up, when I think about what I did, you know, perf- weird performances that in high school and and things that I wanted, things that I saw, it, I think Stomp are having their 30-year anniversary or something this year. Oh, wow. Year. Yeah. Like I remember when Stomp came to Australia. To, so, one yeah, of my I remember mums, when it came to London. And I was just like this is amazing like I was like mind was blown and then I spent the next two weeks spinning a rubbish bin lid on my finger (laughs) and then my mum took me and it's so embarrassing my mum took me and the rubbish bin lid to the rhythmic gymnastics school that was near our house and said what can you do with her and then they took the rubbish bin lid and gave me a ribbon and a ball and a hoop and some clubs and I was like oh yeah I got it That's amazing though, isn't it? When you suddenly realise that all these other people out there exist. And I mean, I was was reading something where you were saying about all the people that influenced you and people like Josephine Baker and um, Esther Williams, all these people who were actually like living extraordinary lives and putting forward this, such, their shows are so incredible. And actually, especially with Josephine Baker, when you're performing, you do quite sort of big caricature-y, cartoony expressions. Do you think that kind of came from... Because she was, does that when she's dancing, which so, is brilliant. Yeah, so I was in a show. I'm trying to think where I was. I think I was in London. And I can't remember how he found me, but it was an Australian producer who was putting on a show in New York. And he said, oh, we really want you to be in the show and, and to play Josephine Baker. And I was like, oh, I was like, again, with the Josephine Baker thing, I was like, everyone keeps saying, I was like, I'm not the only mixed race girl that like dances on it. I'm like, why does everyone keep saying that? And he was like, oh, you know, it's the faces. And this was like, you know, YouTube had only just sort of kicked off and I was like, yeah. you know, I think I'd seen a picture of her in a banana skirt and that was it. And I was like, I don't know, you know. But he was like, you know, we want you to audition for the show. And, you know, so I was like, okay, let me go find out what, more about this person. And I Googled it and I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, we do, yes, the faces thing. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like really bizarre, like watching – you know, and the and at the time, like it's changed a lot, obviously in the last ten, fifteen years. But there was very few. Vi- the videos were terrible quality, and you could only yeah. get very strange little snippets. But I was like, oh yeah, no, I really. 
this is really amazing. And then back to the children thing, you know, one of the things that when people used to always, you know, that stupid high school stuff of like, ah, oh, you know, if you're never going to have children, like, well, you're never going to have children, so all that stuff about children. But I would always say, oh, I'm going to adopt. I'm going to adopt. You know, I'd always say, I'm going to adopt because, you know, I, I I'm, I'll be older when I want to do it kind of thing. And then reading about Josephine Baker and how she had the 12 adopted children, the Rainbow Tribe, and how she'd had, 12. you know, she had 12, she adopted. So the jury's out. There's a, there's a version that says that she had a baby but a stillborn baby. Whether or not she ever had a baby, she adopted 12. And they were all from different countries. They all spoke different languages and they spoke English, French, and then whatever their native language was, she had a nanny that taught them that thing. And they lived literally in a castle. For, I mean, this is in the heyday and it, it, wow. it didn't end great. They, they lost the castle and stuff. But, but she had the Rainbow Tribe and she had the 12 kids. And when, you know, like there's this whole thing about like, you know, MLK and the civil rights movement, like when he was assassinated, she was the first person they asked to take over the civil rights. Like people don't know how much, they were just like, oh, the one in the banana skirt with, with no top on. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's <laughs> like yeah. the craziest story. So so then I got really fascinated and was trying to get my hands on any information I could. And now there's tons. But at the time, it, you know, I felt like I was really trawling through things to get information. And um and then I got into the show and they then I played her for six months in New York. And in New York on uh, 42nd Street between 10th and 11th is Shea Josephine, which is the restaurant that one of the adopted sons runs as like an homage to her, which has like life-size, like huge paintings, picture, like just the most incredible wow. French, fabulous, like pre when you go to a Broadway show, you go to Shea Josephine and have – um, that sounds fun. Dinner or go after, and they have piano, and it's where Harry Connick Jr. as a teenager played piano, and that's where he cut his teeth. And um, and it was a great, incredible restaurant. And um, but I was terrified of him finding out that I was playing Josephine, and I had a um, German, Marco Nuhli, my German flatmate, who he was doing straps in the show, uh, and he was like, "We have to go. We just have to go to the restaurant." So we went to the restaurant, and um, and. He was German, so they were speaking in German to each other, but oh, going back and forth in German. And um, and then he, Marco, you like, what do you do? And he was he was loving Marco, and you know, doing that. And he was like, oh, I'm an acrobat. We're doing a show. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, the show is about Paris, and blah, blah blah. And then he turned to me and he said, you, you should be playing Josephine. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and I was like, I am. <laughs> That's amazing. And then every yeah, and it was amazing because every Friday for the duration of the show. I would go and have dinner there and he would announce me when I would enter the restaurant and he would tell me stories and show me things. And it was just the most incredible time to be not only playing her in the show, but learning so much every, you know, I just felt like I got such a incredible insight to it. I felt really, you know, lucky to get, yeah, to get that close to it. When you find those, I suppose we're talking about as well, it's like sort of kindred spirits, like the other performers where I feel like they're probably, you know, delving into a similar part of their, you know, psyche to sort of be able to bring that show. And I did wonder when you're about to walk out on stage and you, you have to bring what you bring, is there a sort of place mm-hmm. you go in your head, like a show that you're playing in your head that helps you get into that right headspace to be able to do it? Yes. And it, it varies. I go, I have different, depending on, depends on the show, I guess a little bit, but um, often I just listen to really, I listen to a lot of like Pusha T or like really 
full on like hip hop, like blaring in my headphones. Really? That gets me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but that's that's usually where I am pre show. And then I'm like, I am going to go out there. I'm going to throw some cool roots. I'm going to break some stuff. Like, I'm, by the time I get out there, yeah. Get yourself pumped. <laughs> yeah, really pumped. Yeah. <laughs> and do you think you're going to, now that you've had your baby and you're sort of the other side of that bit where you felt like, okay, I'm going to have the kid and I've, I've done the world records and I've done so many things already. We haven't even really talked about your world records. I think, so you, is it 12 that you've got, right? Well, yes, but, but the thing that, the, the really big news for me with world records, which is why, which is also, I, I didn't know I was getting it. I was actually pregnant when I found out. So it was just like the most incredible bonus is I found out that I have, and last year I was inducted into the Hall of Fame, Guinness World Record Hall of Fame, and I wow. have two pages in the uh, in the current book dedicated to all the records, which I really was like, that's it. That's <laughs> amazing. And every day yeah. do you wake up like, please let no one have spun 201 hula hoops. 100%, 100%, yeah. <laughs> no, it was funny. I think I was like that for a long time, like, when I was working on records and getting more records and I used to be like, you know, I could break into a sweat just thinking about it. And then again, like somewhere along the line, I was just like, you know what? I'm kind of, at, you know, I feel like I'm at peace with it. Like, you know, then there was a, there was a guy in uh, at the same circus school that I went to and he was like, I mean, he had to be close to six foot mm-hmm. and he specialized in hula hooping. And it was the, and I found myself, rather than being like furious about it because all the other people that had the hoop record before me had always been taller because really it just comes down to how many, you know, and I'm quite short. Of course, yeah, if you've got a lot taller body, you're going to be able to put more hoops there. Exactly, (laughs) exactly, you're going to fit them. And so he, I was just like, my initial thing was like, oh, no, this is it. And then I was like, no, I can train him. I can, this, he could do like 300 hoops. I can fit so (laughs) And so, yeah, I feel I felt like I was at peace with it. You then. could get the world record for training the most amount of hula hooping world record holders. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's a, you know, I have a troop of girls in London that I teach that I hula hoop with, and I'm always like trying to, you know, psych them into doing into doing more bigger and better things. And and I've all, you know, even when I started, I, I liked te- I've always liked teaching, and I and and even more so now, I feel like with the experience, not just in the performing, but all the other aspects of it, you know, how to, how to do, how to run it, how to have, you know, how to do the invoices and how to do all those sorts of things. I feel really um, passionate about like sharing it with, you know, the up and coming next gen. Well, I can see that in you and I love that. And I love that you do the teaching and the majorettes. And I wanted to touch a little bit on the book. What, What made you want to write your book? I wanted the book. That was, it had stuck with me because I remember being like, like a, what do you call it? When you're just like, you know, um, frozen, petrified, like at the thought when I, when I had, you know, had, had the, whatever, you know, whenever they tell you at school and whatever my mum had said, I remember my mum giving me a pad and saying, you know, you should just keep this in your bag in case you ever need it kind of thing and I was just like oh my god this is another really unfair thing about being a woman and why do I I just thought it was the biggest injustice of all time and I was paralyzed with fear of when it was going to happen you know just like when 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 like is it going to happen right now is it going to happen the next five minutes you know just 
paralyzed. It was, I was terrified. And then when it happened, I was like, this is so much worse than I even could have imagined. (laughs) This is just horrific. Like it's terrible. And then, you know, and then I got it and then I very dutifully went to my diary and did, you know, I thought if I write P, then everyone's going to know. Like I was like, what can I? So I did like a circle or some (laughs) weird shape that I was like, no one will know what this means and carefully went through and every 28 days marked it and then did something a couple of days before it. So, and then of course it doesn't come every 28 days. It was like 26 days, 28 to 29 days, 24 days because I was still, you know, and so I was like, well, what is this? Now it's the, and I was just like, and my mum, you know, she obviously, she worked in health and stuff and, and so she had these prehistoric textbooks that were like, you know, size yeah. eight font with long descriptions. And I was like, this isn't really, and also they were from the seventies. I was just like, this is terrifying. This is unhelpful. I'm not asking anyone. And also the internet didn't exist or anything like that. So I was just like, terrified and miserable yeah. and you know and boobs and stretch marks and sweat and all of all it of was that. just like all of it and you know and no one you know went to an all-girls school and it was like the only comments were sort of either bitchy backhanded comments or no one it didn't really feel like you could actually you, you never wanted to expose yourself to reveal to anyone any of it and I also had this furious probably um slightly competitive side to me that was just like you know I was I was doing a lot of athletics and sport and stuff like that and I was like I will not I will not spend three days in bed because I had crippling pain I had you know I had really painful periods and felt like terrible I I just felt wanted to sleep I just wanted to sleep and I I was saying this to my sister because there's me there's two girls two boys in our family and I mean I've talked about this a lot of friends but it's that thing of like you know, that you hit that teenage hormonal thing yeah. and boys just sleep. They yeah. just sleep all day. And it's like, oh, they're boys, they're sleeping. But with girls, it's like, oh, you need to go to the doctor. There's something wrong with you. Oh, yeah, you've got to, we've got to put you on all these different, you know, you need to take this tablet or this supplement or you need to do this or you need it. And it's like, why don't we get to sleep? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't slept all day. Like, yeah. You know, it's, it's like, why, why? Yeah, so... I sat on that and was furious about that for what, another 15 years or something. And then, and then the opportunity to the book came and I was like, I know exactly, like I had it, 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 you know, I know that writing books can be, I mean, books are difficult. They're difficult, but in terms of writing it, I was, it was, it was already percolating in my head. And yeah, we, I think it was, I think when I did the first brain dump, it was 70, 70 lessons and then by and then we refined and it was in the end it's 50 lessons so it, it, it's okay. it's everything that I wish someone had said to me and it's really it's I find it really um it's in 22 languages now so um, amazing you know I remember having the the marketing meeting with them and I was sort of Instagram was really popping at that time and I was like you know oh, we should do this Instagram campaign and they were like no no no, no you can't do any Instagram campaigns because the book is being targeted or marketed to kids that are, you know, you're not allowed to be on Instagram till you're 13. I'm thinking, they're all on Instagram. And sure enough, every day I'm getting messages from kids in Germany and kids in Japan. And they get, yeah. You know, they're all on Instagram. I mean, they, you know, they shouldn't be, but they are. And um, and they, but they, but all the messages are just like so, you know, 
comforting and satisfying because for me because they're just I just really relate to them because they're like oh the chapter about the shooty bum pains was I thought I was dying but it was so nice to read that you know you know and oh you know I I I felt so embarrassed about this but now I can talk to my mum about it and and a lot of messages from mums and dads too who were like I didn't want to have to bring this stuff up and you know we've been able to have really great conversations either that they've had really great conversations or thanks that I didn't have to do <laughs> yeah and also you know now we're we're mothers yeah. of sons we have to like actually tell tell them exactly. what goes on as well so that they know and they can be exactly exactly yeah and a lot, a lot of people life. that have yeah and a lot of people either that they've got um boys and girls you know brothers and sisters where the boys have read it too or even just people that just have sons who've also passed it on to read and and it's been and when I talk at schools like they they often they'll ask you know oh should we just have and I said no it's girls and boys always yeah and it's fascinating you know it's really fascinating when I do the talks at schools because the kids they always say the same thing they say you know oh they're at a really awkward age and they don't really like to they're not going to really ask you any questions and you know you'll probably just need to keep it moving and keep reading or whatever and every time I go in and I tell there's three stories and there's really three unbelievably embarrassing like revoltingly embarrassing stories and um just horrific and I read the worst one which <laughs> you'll just have to go and see it it's compulsion um I put, I put yeah, all the embarrassing yeah, yeah. stories in my story in my book as well it's like why did I do that but then it just kind of yeah <laughs> Like I <laughs> obviously felt that. like I needed to overshare something, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. And but it, but it's amazing because as soon as you do that, as soon as I read the story, and then I say, "Are there any questions?" I mean, that's it. It's you know they want to know every. They're you know, you know, what, how big's it? You know, if my fingers is big, how big's the tampon? How far up does it have to go? And how much blood? You know, what happens here? And what does this? You know, and they get they get they get really wild questions, and then the boys start asking questions, and then it you know it goes all. Yeah. And it's great. It's great because it's, it's great. just stuff that doesn't, you know, often takes a long – I feel like, you know, sometimes it. I can see on the kids as well like that thing of like they might have been thinking it for so long and just waiting for a way to be able to ask it and then all of a sudden it's just like, you know, and another thing, and what about this? And, oh, let me – and you can see the relief when there's like, okay, you know, yeah. I can talk about it. Yeah, yeah no, no, it's really oh, – communication is always brilliant. And it's, it's yeah. I think those those things. I think we're getting better at not being squeamish about it. Actually, in, you know. yeah, and and I think I feel I really feel for the you know younger kids now because the other thing, and I did this with the book, is that what's terrifying for me is that so many of the subjects, so many of the things that you would want, you know, I was like, what well, I I took the book and the questions from the book, and I sat in front of my computer, and I was like, okay, this is eight year old me. I'm going to type. I know what I would have typed. I know what I would have searched. What it, and it every time it's like it's straight to porn and straight to misinformation like crazy yeah. misinformation oh, crazy. and I was like yeah. this if this is what these kids are googling and this is what they're seeing I'm like this is, this is not the one no I know that's yeah. a whole other, yeah that's a whole other conversation but yeah um I'm conscious of your time Mara because also we've I know that we've you've been very patient with me with all the tech stuff as well. So I just wanted to ask you a couple of things I always ask everybody. And I think it's yes. be really interesting with you considering as well how, how much thought you've put into the moment where you said, yeah, okay, let's do the, the baby bit. But are you the kind of mother that you thought you'd be? Yep, I think so. Oh, <laughs> that's I just think. the nicest <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> 
Yes, I am. <laughs> okay, great. I mean, yes, you. Are. I guess you are. I just bought your kid roller skates, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I'm trying to think of the things that have been surprising. I think also it's that thing of like I'm not 20. You know, I'm I'm 40 now, so I feel like I. I was prepared, I think, for for a lot of things. I think the things that I wasn't prepared for were, um, I think I'm a little bit more protective than I thought I would be in in the playground and stuff. I find myself being like, oh, don't go over there, oh, you know. Um, really? I thought you'd yeah, be like, but, climb that tree. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, off you go, climb up. No, no, no. I'm like, your body's perfect. Let's not break anything. Let's everything is in perfect alignment. Don't wow. Break <laughs> I get the feeling though, as your son gets older and sees a little bit more about what his mom is capable oh, of, yeah. he's gonna be like, I don't think you're oh, the one yeah. to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I just I've got a real I've got a real paranoia around how hard all the floors are in our house and um and their heads. I mean I know they can oh, fall yeah. on their heads, but God. No, I that's just... horrible. And those things never really yeah. leave you. You know, like no. I sometimes go to bed at night and then I get this little series of images of just horrific accidents happening, like, well, like a little montage. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. That's... I'm reading a lot of, um, oh, of is it Philippa Perry. Oh, yeah. The, oh, she's the, brilliant. Philippa, yeah. The book you wish you, your parents had read. Yeah. Right? yeah. Yeah. All of that. But everything she writes, like she does the bits in the Guardian. I read every, yeah. everything. Yeah. I'm obsessed. She's, she's, she's yeah, she seems so sensible. Hero. I know. I love so, it too. Yeah. So sensible. But, and, um. The other thing I wanted to ask you is what is the thing about having a nomadic childhood like that where you said you travelled around a lot? What's the thing about that kind of childhood that you think is different to a childhood that's in one place? Because I think it's probably quite a defining thing, like being people who've had that. Yeah, I think it's... Look, it's, you know, living in the... You know, we're very aware now of carbon footprints and like you know I've always you know obviously as a kid we traveled a lot um and it was for work for my parents and I traveled for work as well and that was sort of my way of always justifying of being like well I have you know I'm not going on holiday I'm you know I'm working but um but that you know putting carbon footprint aside I just think it's got to be like one of the most important. I mean, I also come from mixed culture backgrounds. My dad's Somali, my mum's Australian. Um, you know, we've so we've got the two different cultures already at home, um, and then traveling and just being able. To, I remember I, I did sociology and psychology at university before I went to oh, school. Wow. I did two years of that. Two years of that first, and I always remember there would. I used to, I loved, I loved, loved those subjects so much. And I remember that there was this lecturer who would ask this question of like, what's something that's acceptable in all cultures? You know, what's, what's something you can do, a gesture or a grit, you know, things like that. And people used, there would always be the same people in the class. They'd be like, you know, a stupid, you know, a handshake, handshake's universal. You can do that in any country. You know, you, there's no country that you couldn't do a handshake. Everybody knows that, you know, and I would just be like, I was always just like, no, like there's nothing like, you know, yeah. there's, you know, there's just everything and anything in the world. And how do you explain, you know, in the Middle East where you see men walking around in effectively a dress, dish, dasha, you know, with their pinky fingers, you know, linked walking as two men with their two wives walking behind them, and in a country that's really, you know, 
we can see is very behind in terms of acceptance of same-sex marriage and stuff like that. You know, how do you explain mm. all these little nuances and then um, and then food because yeah. I love to eat and just flavor. Like my mum would cook and, you know, experiencing different ways of cooking, different co- – and I feel like, you know, super lucky to be able to sort of take – all these little bits, all my favourite bits of all these different yeah. cultures and all these different customs and, and put that into one space. Um, but I just think it's so, especially for children, like it's so important. I'm reading, um, I'm really obsessed with Colours magazine. Um, it's C-O-L-O-R-S, like the US spelling. It's Italian, Italian, old Italian magazine. Um, or the guy that founded it was Italian, but it was like he's the same guy that did all the Benetton ads in the eighties and nineties, okay. and it's just like the most. It's a. It's called. I think it's called something like a magazine about the about the world or about the rest of the world or something like that. And it's yeah. just like it's it's really full on. Like I I would buy it as a kid, and there were issues that I probably sh- there was an issue on wall that was like there's a lot of very graphic photos and stuff okay. like that, that probably I was a bit too young to be I looking at but it really it, it's a really really it, it's not I think they've started up again but it, it stopped it, I think they ran for about maybe 15 years and um but it's it's that thing of like looking at all these different cultures all these different things that are in the world like the like I don't know why we're bothering with Mars, even the moon. Like there's so much here that we still haven't unpacked. That's just, it's just crazy what's out there. And I think the more that children can see yeah. other cultures and see other people's ways. And I was yeah. also lucky because when we travelled, we went to international primary schools and international oh. primary schools, the ones that I went to at least, I had really incredible experiences of like experiencing lots of different cultures um, and you know, and and I think this also feeds into, you know, why I love the Olympics and why I love Guinness World Records and these yeah. these sort of celebrations of differences and and specialties rather than conflict between different cultures and finding ways to celebrate all yeah. of it. That's a lovely way to put it, actually, and I guess that's what you get as well. Crosses over into. Oh, and, and circus and all those things. It's about taking yeah, yeah. someone who looks like they're going to do one thing and then they do something totally different and it surprises you yeah. and it's unique and and it's celebrated. And you also think how wonderful that there's a place where that quirky little talent that you have, that you've honed, can totally. now be put out there in front of everybody. Totally. Go, I love it. Totally. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of magnificent. Yeah, totally. It's literally it. exactly, yeah, it's literally what circus is. Like, yeah. You know, it's that thing of taking someone's you know skill or oddity or whatever the thing is yeah. and, and celebrating it and yeah that's what was great about shows like the when we were that show in um in the hippodrome and in the spiegel tents and you know yeah, that we're beautiful. Just, yeah i yeah. think you're going to be roller skating till the end of your days by the way i can't imagine that i hope so <laughs> <laughs> I, i've I got can. enough pairs at this point yeah 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 you'll be up there oh you know what it's been so lovely to speak to you i'm honestly such a huge fan I hope you come over to London oh, soon and you. I can see you perform again. Yes. And please, yes, can you yes, teach yes, me to hula hoop a bit better? I'd love to do one Absolutely. of your classes. Yeah. You just need a bigger hoop. It's not you. You just need a bigger hoop. I say this to everyone. Anyone oh. who thinks that they yeah. can't hula hoop anymore, let me tell you right now, the ones from the pound shop, the 99 cent store hoops, they're for very small children. Yes. It needs to be up to your hip. 
and a good weight heavy. so or does you it not can matter still do it and yeah not too heavy but it needs yeah. to be the ones from the you know those really super light ones yeah they're very yeah. small they're, they're no one can hoop i can't hoop they're too small you need bigger hoop and it's it's, it's not you it's the hoop back and forward not side to side right I say, yeah. I don't. I say it's not like the dance. You're not going. You're not actually doing circles. You can actually make it like a sit up. That's why my core is so tight because every time wow. I push the hula hoop, it's like I do a sit up. It's like a crunch. So you, you're pushing like there's a string in your belly button, and you go forwards and backwards. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, yeah. Can we start? Off and with then you that? don't get lopsided. Okay. Well, we'll start off with that. Yeah. Then I'll do a little bit of roller skating, and then we'll combine the two. And if all else fails, I'll give you a giggle. <laughs> See, that was a cool chat, wasn't it? And yes, I have bought um, Marawa's Teenage Girl Handbook. It's really excellent. As you can see, she's a, a smart woman with, uh, with things she wants to, uh, knowledge she wants to impart that go beyond how to be great on hula, hoop, with hula hoops and roller skates. Although, to be honest, that would be enough to offer the world, quite frankly. During lockdown, I bought some hula hoops. I was like, this is it. I'm going to learn how to hula hoop. I'll be doing it on stage. I'll be singing and hula hooping just like Grace Jones. It's going to be great. I was rubbish. I know you're supposed to go forward and back and not side to side with the hula hoop, but that is the tip of the flipping iceberg. Anyway, never mind. There's someone else doing it better than me, so you don't need to wait for me to learn the skill. Just go and see Marawa. She's awesome. And uh, I'm now nearing my destination. I'm about to walk through. We have like a little antiques market. Thank you. Sorry. Around here. Um, so woman just waited for me while I walked past and she looked fabulous all dressed in shades of purple and pink anyway um yes I'm approaching my home and going through the antique market which weirdly I've never been to they've got vintage clothing there but I just it's almost too easy for me to go and see it also I think it's like proper stuff as in things that are worth money and my home house is full of tat so I think it's a bit too highbrow for me anything that describes itself as antique market has probably not got things that I will desire because it'll be proper I like the cheap stuff, please. And I hope you're having a lovely day or evening, whatever you're up to. And, oh, I've got some excellent guests for you coming up. Oh, my word. I already spoke last weekend on uh, Radio 2 with Rylan about how I've just interviewed Mary Berry. So that might be next week or the week after. And I've got another couple of cool ones as well. And in the meantime, oh, wow, there's loads of dogs around. In the meantime, have a lovely day. Thank you for lending me your ears again. And thanks for listening to Marawa. And... Maybe, should we get some roller skates out? I've got mine in the attic. Maybe I'll give it another go. I did used to love it so much when I was a kid. She makes it look so such a fun way to keep fit as well. Yep, that'll be me now. Roller skating my way around Chiswick. <laughs> All right, see you soon, my darlings. Lots of love.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.